grateful we come before you on this Sunday morning. And once again, we ask that we would be able to offer uh, sacrifices of song that would be acceptable to you as worship. We pray for the special music, Lord, the sermon this morning, that it would be an offering of your word. And Lord, that we'd be able to hear and understand. Most of all, Lord, when we get to the time of invitation, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to deal with us, that we may make decisions today that would change the way we live throughout this coming week and, yes, the rest of our lives. Lord, we pray for each part of our service, the offering, the giving, that all would be acceptable in thy sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. God's Word. And we'll have the children dismissed for the children and toddlers' churches. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And our theme for this year is Be Still and Know That I Am God. That's from the Psalms. And the next one, That I May Know Him and the Power of His Resurrection. And um, we're going to spend the time this year just teaching and and preaching on knowing God. And it's one thing to know about God, to know who God is. Uh, The question I often like to, the way I like to frame the question is, it's not how well you know God, it's how well God knows you. Amen? Uh, as we would think of, uh, of great people that we might meet, if our president, uh, President Obama, walked through the back door, every one of us would recognize him. I don't think we'd have any problem in doing that. But would he know any of us? No, not a one. Not that I know of. Uh, And that's the way it is with God so many times. Everybody knows who He is. That's why He will say on Judgment Day to many, Depart from me, I never knew you. You see, you cannot lose your salvation. The question is, do you have it? And the whole idea of knowing God is not, uh want to be careful how I word this here, but we have many people who think that knowing God is because, well, I prayed a prayer and God answered it. Or I did this and God blessed. Uh, I, I want to challenge you that circumstances do not determine your relationship with God. Do you remember the night Jesus was betrayed? He said uh, that one of you that sits here at the table is going to betray me. Now, what was the disciples' response? Did they all turn with one point and say, it's got to be that dirty, rotten scoundrel Judas, right? No. They, they said, is it I? Am I going to be the one? Not a one of them looked toward the man who actually would do it. Though John later relates that Judas was a thief and bear what it was in the bag, they didn't have any real proof. He was 
pretty good at it, I guess. But then after everything happened, all the pieces fell together and they understood who was the problem. It was, it was Judas all along. And there's going to be a lot of people in Judgment Day that are going to be caught short. Not because they couldn't quote the Roman road. Not because they didn't carry the right kind of Bible. Not because they didn't attend the right kind of church. But it was because they never really knew Jesus as their personal Savior. And as we go through Philippians chapter 3, we have Paul giving us an explanation, uh, a look into his heart and his soul, his relationship with God. And we start, we're going to start our reading in verse 4 and read down through verse 10. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I mourn. Now, we just want to stop and, and get this thought here. He said, if you think you have confidence in the flesh, if you think you have something that you can uh, relate in your relationship with God, something you've done for God, he said, I want to match you. He said, prove it. He said, I've, I've done more than you have. And he begins to list all of his accomplishments that he had made. He said, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Now, that's something that very few of us in this auditorium can, can, can uh, uh, lay hold on. We're not Jewish. We do not have that direct descendant through a bloodline to Abraham. We are part of the Gentile world or the non-Jewish world. And, and, and of course, in, Philippi, in the city of Philippi, it, it was a Macedonian city, and, and uh, uh, those people were not primarily Jewish. And Paul said, listen, if you want trust in the flesh, he said, let me tell you something. I was circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless... And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection." and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I'd like us to go back to verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And I'd like to ask the question this morning, what would you give? What would you be willing to pay? What would you... Be willing to give that you could know Jesus Christ. 
What price would you be willing to pay? See, that's what Paul's telling us here. First of all, he starts off with things that he had done. His accomplishments. And not a one of these is minor in any way. We, because of faith in Jesus Christ, tend to downplay the heritage that belongs to the Jewish people. But read through the book of Romans. Paul says it is a benefit in every way. Uh, That they were the ones that preserved the words of God and, and kept them for us. And your Bible would be so hard to understand if we did not have the Old Testament. You cannot understand the Old Testament without the New, but you never understand the things that are in the New Testament without the Old. You've got to have all of those wilderness wanderings and the laws of God and everything is the basis for our faith and what we believe about God. And here's what Paul says. He says, I was a Jewish man. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which is the tribe of Saul, the first king of Israel. He said, an Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, somebody said, if he were in modern day, he'd say, I was super Jew. Um, uh, simply that there was no way, anything that's, that Paul did, you could accuse him of betraying his people or their heritage. He said, as touching the law of Pharisee, and we've been over this many, many times, but just to remind us, the Pharisees were the most religious people. If you took the Jewish, the different sects or groups of Jewish people, the Pharisees were the closest to the Scriptures. Now, they were a long ways off. But the Pharisees were certainly closer than the Sadducees. That was the priest that ran the temple. The, the, priest that, that the group of priests, they did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in anything. Sound like Protestants, don't they? Uh, the, the Bible was just kind of something that they did. Now, the Pharisees, in order to become a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not the names. The whole books. Could you imagine putting that much scripture in your memory? Should do you some good, shouldn't it? Unless you become proud about the scripture you put in your memory. And that's what Paul was saying here. He said, now interesting here, I hope you you catch this that he puts in here. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He said, I believe so much in the laws and the traditions of the Pharisees that when the church came along, I persecuted them. Read through the book of Acts, compelling them to blaspheme male and, uh, men and women he committed to jail for their faith in Jesus Christ. He was on his way to Damascus 
a foreign city to arrest Jewish people who had believed in Jesus Christ. That's, that's how zealous this guy was. He was a fanatic in every sense of the word. But do you catch the next phrase that is in there? He says, touching the righteousness which is in the law. Blameless. Now, wait a minute. He persecuted the Christians. But he was not judged as sinful according to the laws of the children of Israel. You see, it was the high priest that had prophesied the week that Jesus was to be crucified, that Jesus, if they let him alone, that all people would believe on him and there wouldn't be anything important about being Jewish anymore. So they had to get rid of Jesus. That's what they were working on. And you want, we meet in a former synagogue. And someone said, don't, don't you need to take down the stars of David and those things? No. Jesus was a Jewish man. This book is a Jewish book. Every author was Jewish. These scriptures give us the history of the Jewish people and the history of faith. And yet Paul has the audacity to say, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that his zeal in persecuting the church and committing men and women to prison and having people put to death did not violate the law in the eyes of all the Jewish people. How many of you see the paradox or the conflict there? See, I promise you, unless you submit your works and your life to the words of this book, you will end up fighting against the God of this book. That's where Paul was. What did Jesus tell him on the road to Damascus? Why kick us? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. When he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Paul here is giving a testimony. All I was trying to do was keep the laws of God. You ever meet anybody that says, I'm going to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments? Paul's saying, You couldn't keep the Ten Commandments better than I have. And where I found myself was persecuting the church of God. What are you going to have to give up to know Jesus? What is the price of knowing Him? Verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. First of all, it's going to cost you everything that you are, have been, and could be. 
You know, we've often gotten into this discussion when it comes to spiritual gifts. And I've tried to illustrate it this way. It's the best illustration I have of the subject. I had a professor in Bible college. His name was James Beggs. And you know what class I had with Dr. Beggs? Shakespeare. And he had the audacity at the beginning of that class to tell us that he was such a fantastic teacher that in spite of our animosity toward Shakespeare and English literature, we were going to enjoy that class simply because he was such a fantastic teacher. Now, somebody made the statement, it's not boasting if it's true. And he wasn't boasting because I actually enjoyed the class in spite of myself. Uh, Is that a gift of the Holy Spirit in teaching? I I want to challenge you. The Holy Spirit is not interested in you learning Shakespeare. He is just a great teacher. He has a natural talent. And there are many people that have great talents in different areas of their life. Sometime I ought to have... Dr. Smith come back and people say, but Pastor, you're a great teacher of the Bible. I said, I wish you would have known me when I was in high school. Dr. Smith was here one time. That was the church I grew up in. And he said, yeah, we just never were quite sure what shy little Pete Montoro was going to do. And everybody laughed and said, well, no, you see, the reason I am what I am today is not because of who I was. You see, I gave all that up. I had to ask Jesus to make me a preacher. And some of our older members may uh, uh, remember the earlier sermons. They, they're not, uh, they may not be great today, but they certainly were not a lot less than that uh, back then. And, and it took years and years to, for me to develop. That's one of the reasons I love Heartland Baptist Bible College is when we send our students there, they come out knowing how to handle the Word of God. And, and preach and, and, and those things. It, it took years in the ministry for me to learn those things. You see, I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't have the natural talent there. God does not want your abilities. He does not want what you're about. Somebody said, well, good, because I don't have anything. Well, then you have a whole lot less to give up to find Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why God has called many of the poor and many of the ignorant of this world to be his believers. Is because we don't have the barriers keeping us from Christ of great talent and great ability and great accomplishment. If you stop and you think about it, what can you do? That God needs you to do. What can you possibly accomplish? Now, if you happen to be mentally incompetent and, and totally bereft of any reasoning abilities like Sung Young Moon, uh, your answer would be that God called me to straighten out the things he failed at. That is his actual testimony. That's why I reserve no 
no good thing to say about a man like that who would blaspheme the personality, the character, and the works of God so the people would think more of him. I know nothing good to say about that man. You see, Paul said, God did not choose me because of what I had. In fact, in order for me to find out about God, I had to give up everything that I had. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? He said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Do you have to do that to get saved? No. Then why did he tell the rich young ruler that? Because the rich young ruler's heart was attached to his position in life. His money, his possessions. And he couldn't let go of those things. And Jesus said, unless you let go of those things, you cannot know me. (coughs) Excuse me. Unless you give up everything you are. And Paul goes on. He says in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ. Now, I hope no one in here has ever given a testimony like this, but I've heard many over the years, even from missionaries and preachers. You know, I was a very successful businessman, and I had... uh, Uh, a good business, and they they would tell all about the business and how this, and I gave it up to become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that borders on blasphemy, my friend. That'd be like saying, I gave up being homeless so that I could serve Jesus Christ. And by the way, you do have to give up being homeless if you're going to serve Jesus Christ. Because that kind of lifestyle does not bring a glory to his name and does not make him. You have to give up everything you have. And by the way, if you think you're giving it up, you're not giving it up. If you want people to think better about you because of what you gave up to serve Christ, you don't know Jesus. The only good things in my life are because of Jesus. That's why Paul said, I gave up everything. I gave up my Bible knowledge. Paul had, before he became Paul, as Saul the Pharisee, he could quote more Bible than probably all of us in this room combined. And he only had the Old Testament to work from. I'll tell you what, he could win every argument. You don't have to be right to win arguments. I remember reading a story about a lawyer and someone had seen his notes and written in the side of one of his notes that he was using, it said, weak point, raise the volume so people will believe you. You see, it's we have to be careful this battle for the truth We are talking about, has it ever occurred to you that both 
Democrats and Republicans just might be wrong. That, that there really is not truth on either side of this political debate in which we find ourselves. And that's why we as Christians need to pray for our country. That's not part of the sermon this morning. But, but you have to understand that just because somebody is wrong, those opposing them don't have to be right. That the only measure of truth is this book called the Bible. See, Paul knew the Scriptures. He said, touching the law, he said, there was no one that could point their finger at me and name a commandment that I had broken. Now, Jesus could. In fact, Paul broken every one of those Ten Commandments. Just like you and I have. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to commit murder to be guilty. All you have to do is hate. You don't have to involve yourself in the physical act of adultery. Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you've already done it. How many here have told a lie? Every hand goes up. How many of you wanted something you don't have? Or that somebody else had? Well, every hand goes up. How many of you have thought more of yourself than on God on occasion? Every hand goes up. In fact, you can't break any of the other Ten Commandments till you break the first one first. And when we actually put feet, we're just the same as those that bow down before the idols in the temples of this world in ancient history, only... We bow down before, fill in the blank, a new car, a better position at work, more money in the bank. You see, if you're going to know Jesus, the first thing you've got to get rid of is you. Paul said, there is no confidence in the flesh. He said, I was so glad to be rid of it. I was, there was joy in my heart as I laid aside everything that was about me and became nobody and nothing. Because as soon as I did that, I got to know who Jesus is. Look with me. Paul said in verse 8, he said, I've suffered the loss of all things. There was nothing in Paul's life that was not taken away from him because of the cause of Jesus Christ, except for his salvation and his relationship with Jesus. And he said, I'm satisfied with that. That is what I want. That is the price. Of knowing God. That is why so many people, the Bible tells us that broad is the way, that wide is the gate that leadeth unto destruction, and many be that go in there. Why? Because they can't get past themselves. 
They can't lay down their abilities. They can't lay down their thought processes, their understanding, their intellect, their fill in the blank. Paul said, I had all those. And he said, I gladly lost them that I may win Christ. Verse 9 says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, Paul explains this thing called righteousness. Now, honestly, every person in this room, if we were honest with ourselves, we believe that we're doing right. I honestly believe that Bill Clinton believed he was doing right when he was doing so wrong. How how do I believe that? Well, listen to his own testimony. Well, I did all those horrible things because I could. Nobody believes they're doing wrong. If you have any question about that, just take a visit to Rikers. And start talking to the inmates there at the state penitentiary. You'll find some of them will say, well, you know, I, I, I did do some wrong things, but nothing worthy of being here. It was my friends. I got blamed. I took the fall for my friends. You know, that was a good thing. I, I, I took the blame so they could go free. No, that's not a good thing. If your friends actually did something wrong, you're not helping them by letting them get away with it. You're not helping yourself by taking the blame for something you didn't do. But in all honesty, you probably were just as guilty as they were. Only you got caught. You see, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Read the book of Judges. Not when you're depressed. It is a terrible book to read. All of the sin and even the, the, the great <clears throat> heroes uh, of the book of Judges were all with terrible faults. Because that idea of doing that which is right in our own eyes had become such a part of the children of Israel that it took generations before David would become king and the children of Israel as a nation would begin to seek God again. It was a terrible, terrible time. And Paul said, I want to be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness. Do you know how hard it is to let go of your own righteousness? If you've ever had to discipline children... What's the first response? You did not clean up your room. Uh, But Dad, I cleaned this spot over here. Well, that one spot does not count for the whole room. Any other parents ever been here? How many of you were there as children? Amen. Every hand goes up, right? We always defend ourselves with the little bit of right that we did do. But does that negate all of the wrong that we have done? Absolutely not. 
If God dealt with us on the basis of weighing our good against our bad, do you know how horrible life would be as a Christian? How would you ever know that you had enough good to outweigh the bad that you've done? Well, the Bible's very clear. You cannot. God does not work that way because he's not interested in what you and I can do. He is interested in what he has done. And you see, I've got to shed everything I am to come to the cross. That's how I get righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. It's a covering. It is something that God loans us until we can get to heaven where we'll never have to worry about the tempter's snares anymore. We'll never have to worry about our shortcomings. Righteousness only comes from God. That's why self-righteousness is so evil. Because it's denying God His rightful place. It's putting ourselves in the place of God and somehow dreaming that we could be good enough to please Him. He says, here's how you get righteousness which is yours, which is of the law. Read the book of Galatians. What's the purpose of God's law? To convict us of our sins. That's the purpose of God's law. And to show us that there is nothing we can do to erase the marks that are on our record. We must come to Jesus. We must obtain that faith, that righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ that comes of God by faith. Righteousness is something that God gives you through faith. How many of you understand that what we're talking about here is true, simple Bible Salvation. This is what happens when you get saved. You have to stop trying to be good enough to please God. You have to stop offering God your works because no matter how many good works you offer Him, there's bad works with those. Uh, my favorite illustration is that of a candle. If we were able to block out every bit of light in this auditorium, make it totally black, and I lit one little candle on here and put it on the pulpit, we would all be shocked about how much light that one little candle produced. But if I were to pull the screen down and leave that little candle lit there and go back out in the audit, uh, down the aisle and light a 500 or a 1,000 watt halogen spotlight and shine it forward, you would see the shadow of the candlestick because the light does not pass through the candle. But you would also see a shadow of the flame because in that flame, as it burns on the candle and gives light, there's soot and different particles from the burning of the wick and the burning of the wax. You see, that's the best that we can do. That's why our righteousness doesn't count. But when God turns on the floodlight of His righteousness, there is no shadow. 
There's nothing dark in God. That's one of the great lies of the devil is you can, you can believe God too much. No, you cannot believe God too much. The problem is we believe ourselves too much. The problem is we rely on ourselves. We, we try to come up as one theologian did uh, many years ago. His name was Thomas Aquinas. He tried to marry the philosophy of the Roman, um, I mean the Roman, I'm sorry, the Greek philosophers with faith in Jesus Christ. And he amalgamated what is now uh, Roman Catholic theology, which is a mixture of vain, godless philosophy and the Word of God. Can I challenge you? You cannot mix anything with the Bible. Aristotle, Plato, they weren't wrong about everything. But they weren't right about anything either. You know, you can go to the world and get help. But if you want the truth, there's only one place you can go. That's to Jesus Christ. You see, He's the one that died on the cross for you. And if you're going to have faith, you have to believe in what Jesus did on the cross. That's why those words, it is finished, is there. And if I say that every Sunday until Jesus comes back, I hope you never get tired of it because that's the only reason we're saved is because Jesus did it all. Amen? And as we come to God, we must understand two things about God. Read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Number one, He is. Number two, He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is good. What he did in sending Jesus to the cross was good. Because Jesus, as God, could suffer and pay the price for our sins and die in our place. Only he could have victory over death in the grave. And so he offers salvation to all who will believe. That's the only way you get righteousness, my friend. It's got to be given to you by God. And you obtain that righteousness when you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone. And then we go to the next verse. You see, verse 9 is dealing with what salvation is. Verse 10 is the next stop. And if you miss that, you're going to think, that Paul is trying to earn his salvation somehow, and that's not it at all. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now that little word, power, I'll tell you what, it is something that everyone seeks. From the lowest thug in the darkest den of iniquity. What's he trying to do? He's trying to exercise power over those around him. If he needs a knife or a gun. Or maybe he's just big and strong and he uses that strength to take from people. What is, that's what they're trying to do. By the way, that's what taxes are about. 
It's about our government exercising power over us. That's why we have politicians talking about redistributing wealth. That, that's never been a part of this country. The pilgrims tried that. You ought to read the history of the pilgrims. That's why half of them died that first winter as they were trying to redistribute the wealth. And they found out that God made something in a man that he is supposed to work and enjoy the benefit of that work. That's why we are the most giving country on the face of this earth. Is because of that principle in the Bible. You see, when I work and I have something now, I have the opportunity to share. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because you have to have something if you're going to give it. You can't give what you don't have. Say, oh, I do all the time. Visa and MasterCard. Oh, don't do that, please. That's not real giving. If you want to know who you're really giving to, you're giving to the credit card companies. And trust me, they don't need it. They already have enough and too much. You see, Paul was already saved. But he wanted to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Now, what is he talking about there? He's saying, I want the power that brought Jesus out of the grave to help me live today. I want to know that power by experience. I want to understand that as Jesus stood there speechless before Pilate and willingly offered himself up, that he might pay the price for our sins. You know, sometimes the greatest power is not that which is expressed, but that which is hidden or not used. Amen? And Jesus cloaked all of that power so that he could die on the cross in our place. But on Resurrection Sunday morning, that power was revealed. And the Roman guards laid down and played dead. And the Pharisees didn't, and Sadducees and the priests didn't know what to do except to get out lots of money and try to make up a fake story. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. How many of you can remember a time when your life was driven by sin? And the power of his resurrection gave you victory. See, that's what Paul's talking about. Does your salvation work? Does that knowing Christ change the way you live? If it doesn't change anything, I want to challenge you. You don't know the same Christ that I know. Because he changes things. He makes it different. He gives me abilities that I don't have and never could have had. You see, the power of His resurrection. One of the things that has been the most frustrating to the forces of those who want to stamp out this Bible is the fact that they can't change the Christian's opinion. 
the true Bible believer. And you know what? We don't get angry and carry guns and pass laws. What we do is we keep doing right. And that's what drives them to the rank levels of insanity that we see in our society today. Who had ever thought that the government of the United States would pass a law that would allow men to go into the women's restrooms and women to go into the men's restrooms? I, I don't understand that. I have no comprehension of what that is about. I do understand. I just don't want to. I don't want to, I don't want to lower my thought processes that far down. Because there's one thing that is true. We have men, we have women. And if you're something in between, that's because you did something to yourself. Not because of the way God made you. That's just the way it is. There's not a one of those people, you read their testimonies, that haven't had multiple suicide attempts. Let me tell you something. Multiple suicide attempts is a sign of an incredibly troubled mind and soul. I have peace in my heart and in my soul because of the power of his resurrection. What's the next one? This was something with, with, with which Paul was very well acquainted. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you know that it's a very small thing to be called names for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be ridiculed. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, you have not yet resisted unto blood. You're still alive. You just keep running that race. Amen? And, and the fellowship of his sufferings, understanding that it is a privilege Remember the Beatitudes? You don't get persecuted for righteousness' sake to the very end. That's when you've let God do all of the work. Now, many of us get persecuted for personality's sake, for our attitude's sake, for wrong decisions' sake. But if you've ever actually been persecuted because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll learn to understand some things about our Lord and Savior that you could never know otherwise. That's why Paul says that I may know Him. I want to see the power of His resurrection active in my life. I want to get to that point, like Daniel, that the only thing that they could accuse me of was my service to God. What a wonderful place that would be if you ever got there. Unfortunately, we all have things in our lives that people can nitpick and accuse us of. They're far, far below the standard of the fellowship of His suffering. Here's the last one. You see, when you truly know Christ, 
It says being made conformable unto his death. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To pay the price for our sins. For the wages of sin is death. Amen? What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, I die daily. Here he says, to be made conformable unto his death. Now here is the main point of this whole sermon. If you want to know God, 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. And every person on this earth, from the most reclusive hermit to the most gregarious party animal in the world, We're all seeking love and affection. In fact, if you've got a problem in your your upbringing, parents who did not treat you right, many times that is so hard to get over in adult life. I'll, I'll tell you this, it's impossible to get over it without the love of Jesus Christ. You see, what we're talking about here is losing yourself in the love of God. You see, it doesn't matter to God who and what I was. When I came to Him as an 11-year-old boy, He saved me forever. And if I'm going to reciprocate what he has done for me, I'm going to get to know him. And the power of his resurrection is going to change the way I live. The fellowship of his sufferings means that I finally have attained to a point where people are no longer seeing me and they're seeing Jesus and what they're upset about is who Jesus is instead of who I am. I don't know about you, but I've got a ways to go on that one. How about you? But that's on the process of getting to be conformable to his death. Because Jesus Christ's life was not his own. He came to do the will of his Father. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. The next time he comes, he's going to be highly exalted. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have that righteousness that comes only from God as a gift for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done, then you can get rid of your life and be lost in His. And I'll tell you this, there is no more wonderful place to be People often admire newlyweds as they walk along. Oh, they're just lost in love for each other. Sometimes you get 30, 40 years into that thing and people get unlost in love for each other. We 
picked up Brother Clayton on, uh, in Salina, Ohio, on the way to Oklahoma. And while I was, it was uh, about 6.30 in the morning, I picked him up and we're driving back to the main road where, where we were uh, staying the night to pick up the rest of the crew. And he's on the phone with Mrs. Clayton. Now, you just relax and I love you. And I, I mean, he was just sweet. They've been married over 60 years. Are you lost in Jesus' love? Is it so overwhelming to you that there is nothing worth sacrificing to walk with Him? That's what Paul's talking about here. That's how you get to know God. It's by getting rid of yourself. God doesn't need your talents, doesn't need your abilities doesn't need anything about you because he'll give you new talents that are his. He'll give you abilities that are his. He'll give you a life that is so much his that people won't even recognize you anymore. Then you'll be conformable unto his death. And you'll know who Jesus is. And by the way, he'll know who you are. You see, if we're going to know God, it's got to change us. Everything. You want to know who God is, it's going to take you giving up everything. Oh, so I just quit my job and sit in a circle? No, that's... Again... Nothing but backwards pride. Pride works so many different directions. You cannot battle pride by trying to battle pride. What you have to do is get close enough to Jesus that it squeezes the pride out of your life. It's the only way it works. And the moment you let go, pride seeps back in. You see, this is what Paul said. Verse 11, if I by any means might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, the end of the sentence. Paul's not talking about being saved. He's talking about enjoying the trip to heaven. He's talking about doing things with his life that are worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what knowing God is. And there's nothing I said today that almost everyone in here hasn't heard before many, many times. But the challenge is not have you heard those things? Are we living them? Are we lost in His love? Or are we still seeking our own identity and our own ability? Are, are we trying to do things that God will be pleased with? It doesn't work that way. It's complete and total abandonment of self. And throwing ourselves completely upon the mercy of God. That's why the one man in Jesus' story prayed this prayer, God be merciful to me a sinner. 
And he said, that man went home justified. It's not a magical prayer that saves you. It's faith in Jesus Christ brought before the God of heaven in a simple prayer. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It happens at a moment in time. But Paul said, I'm going to spend the rest of my days trying to know him. Being made conformable unto his death. The fellowship of his sufferings. The power of his resurrection. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, honestly and truly, this is the most important part of our service. I tried to bring forth the truths that are in your word. Yet Lord, we must act upon those truths. That's what faith is all about. Lord, I pray for those that might be here today that when talked about being saved, about knowing our sins are forgiven, just a question mark comes into their heart and their soul they don't know. Lord, that they would be willing today to take a moment and allow someone to open the Bible and show them how they can know their sins are forgiven and heaven is their home. That they'd be willing to shed to cast aside every good thing that they've ever done, every talent, every ability, every hope of the future, that they could know Jesus Christ, that they could be found in Him. Lord, we pray for those that are saved as we walk through this veil of tears, as we struggle just from day to day, that we'd be able to take our eyes off ourselves and lose ourselves in the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us that we may worship you during this time of invitation with a surrender of that which hinders your working in our lives and a plea to be more obedient from this moment forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation, 296. As we sing, if you need to come, now is the time. 296. Let's sing it together.